0: Are stem cells really going to lead us to regenerate diseased organs? Let's get to the tooth of the matter as we look at the stem cells that allow a mouse's incisor to regenerate over and over. You're listening to Reach MD, XM 157 the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients by repurposing current therapies for new uses. Joining us to discuss stem cell research and possible clinical applications is Dr. Ophir Klein from the Biomedical Sciences Graduate Program at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Klein is an MD, PhD, and Assistant Professor of Oral Facial Sciences and Pediatrics. He was recently named a Culpeper Scholar for his work entitled, Laying the Foundation for Organ Regeneration, the Continuously Growing Mouse Incisor as a Model System for the Study of Adult Stem Cells. Dr. Klein has joined us to talk about the promise of research on mouse incisor stem cells. Dr. Klein, welcome to ReachMD.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Tell us a little bit about you. Where did you earn your MD and your PhD? When did you know you were going to do both research and clinical care?
1: Well, I started medical school and graduate school at Yale in Connecticut, and then I stayed there to do my pediatric residency. And after completing that, I moved to San Francisco to do a genetics fellowship as well as a postdoctoral research fellowship here. And then I stayed here to become an assistant professor. And I would say that I knew that I was going to do both research and clinical care sometime towards the end of my residency. So I would say that for most of my time as a medical and graduate student, I was sort of torn between research and clinical care. And I wasn't sure exactly which direction I would go, but I would say towards the end of my residency was when it sort of crystallized for me.
0: And so how long did this path take you from the beginning of medical school until you sort of finished your education in total? How long did that take?
1: In total, it was about 15 years after college.
0: And how long have you been at UC San Francisco?
1: So I arrived here as a fellow almost five years ago, and I spent four years doing some specialty genetics training as well as working in a lab, doing a postdoctoral fellowship. And then about almost a year ago, I joined the faculty as an assistant professor.
0: And what does that mean as an assistant professor? And where are you in the progress to get to be a full professor?
1: So at most research medical schools, there are several tracks that you can be hired into. And the one that I'm in is the sort of classical uh, research-oriented track, where you're supposed to do primarily research, and you're really promoted based on uh, original research contributions. But you also need to do other things for the community, including teaching students and and residents and seeing patients and making other contributions to the academic community as well.
0: How much time do you devote to research and how much to patient care? Do you do any patient care at all?
1: Yeah, so right now I'm really lucky because I have most of my time reserved for research, which is a result of the department chairs who – I'm in two different departments, and both of the department chairs are really committed to helping me get going. So right now I have pretty much 90% of my time reserved for, for research. And so I do see patients one morning per week. And every once in a while, that's in a clinic, and every once in a while, I also see them in the hospital. And I teach a little bit. For the most part, I spend time in the lab.
0: So let's turn our focus to your research. Tell us a little bit about how you got this idea and what kind of research you're doing.
1: So what we're working on right now as one of our main focuses is the mouse incisor, which is a very interesting tooth because unlike human teeth, it grows continuously throughout the animal's life. And it turns out that this growth requires the presence of stem cells. So the mouse incisors is a good model for stem cell-driven growth and also for regeneration. And the way we sort of stumbled upon this is because we were studying a different mouse carrying a different mutation, which had the presence of extra teeth. And that sort of got me interested in this idea of growing new teeth and whether or not we could use stem cells to make new organs. So
0: why is learning about stem cells important right now? Where do you think this in general is heading
1: so when you talk about stem cells, there's a few different types of stem cells. It's not one topic, it's it's a few. So I think what most people hear about in the news are the embryonic stem cells. And these are cells which hold enormous promise for treating disease. But in addition to those cells, there's also the adult stem cells, which are stem cells that have less potential. That means they can't contribute to all the cells of the body, but they they usually can contribute to only the cells of one particular tissue. But they're similar to embryonic stem cells in that they're sort of more primitive cells that can give rise to more differentiated cells. And I think the sort of exciting thing about these cells is that they have a lot of potential, but it's also important to remember that we don't know very much about them yet in the grand scheme of things, both in terms of their basic biology and in terms of how they can be applied. So that's why I think it's really important that we keep doing the basic studies, like the kinds of studies that we're doing in my lab, and not focus exclusively on trying to drive therapeutics right now from them.
0: So your work on craniofacial and tooth development, Is this really just focused on regenerating human teeth, or do you think this will take us to lots of different organ regeneration and other stem cell issues?
1: Well, first of all, we're hoping that what we learn is not important for just regeneration, but also just for for basic biology. And we're focusing in the long term, I think, on, on a lot of different parts of the craniofacial complex, including craniofacial skeleton. But for us, one of the really interesting things about working on the tooth as a model is that although it's very simple in terms of its physiology compared to other organs like the heart or the lungs or the liver, because it doesn't have to do all of the functions that those organs do, it has a lot in similar in terms uh, in common in terms of its development with those organs. So we look at it as something which is important for people suffering from tooth anomalies, but also, more importantly, as a generalizable model for stem cell-based regeneration.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I am speaking with Dr. Ophir Klein, a craniofacial development expert from the University of California, San Francisco. So you were talking about tooth development mimicking other organ development. So where are you looking at these teeth? Are you looking at them in fetal development of the mouse or in the adult mouse? Where are you looking at these teeth?
1: So we're actually doing both. We initially got into this because of our studies on development in the embryo. Now we are also looking a lot at the continuous growth of the incisor in the adult. I think one of the really exciting findings that are just beginning to emerge from these studies that we're doing is that There's actually a lot in common between what happens developmentally in the embryo and the way that continuously growing organs, not just the mouse incisor but also other organs like the hair follicle which regenerates and many other organs in which you need some sort of regeneration or wound healing, how a lot of the same pathways genetically and cell biologically that are used by the embryo are also used by these adult stem cells. And so to me that's a really interesting sort of basic biological concept that you recycle these embryonic developmental pathways in order to repair the adult. And also I think it's going to be very practical because we know a lot about these developmental pathways and I think we can use what we've learned about those in thinking about regeneration from a practical point of view.
0: Tell us a little bit more about that. So in more detail, what are the similarities and what does that really tell us?
1: So I can give you an example, which is the tissue that I study on, but I think this is true of pretty much all the other systems that are that have been Now, so, Most of development is controlled in large part by A series of four or five families of molecules. And each of these families has many different components to it. And they have quite funny names like BMPs, which are bone morphogenetic proteins, or FGFs, which are fibroblast growth factors. But these few families of molecules are really, in some ways, the critical regulators of embryonic development. And when you look at what they do in the embryo, they basically cause cells either to divide or to die or to move around and those are the sort of the, the main functions of these molecules they're sort of directive molecules and when you look at in our case the stem cells in the mouse incisor you find that it's it, those exact same molecules and in fact often the exact same family members that are important for embryonic tooth development are also important for the direction of the of the stem cells in the adult so it's it's really almost as if the same system has been recycled or just co-opted by this adult stem cell niche and just really modeled itself on what the embryo does.
0: So you mentioned divide, die, and move around as three functions. What part of this causes the differentiation of the cells from the stem cell into something else?
1: So differentiation is sort of, I guess, a later function than, than what happens, as opposed to that initial part that I talked about. So after the cells basically move around or grow or figure out where they're supposed to be. At that point, they then receive a a cue to differentiate. And those cues are in our tissue are not that precisely worked out, but it seems, again, that at least from our preliminary observations, that the same molecules that are involved in setting up the system in terms of telling cells where to be and making sure there's the right number of cells at the right time and in the right place are the same molecules that then tell those cells to differentiate. So there's a lot of reuse of the same pathways over and over again.
0: What have you learned in your lab today that follows on what you already told us and where do you think it's taking us?
1: So what we've been focusing on is the role of a few different pathways, two in particular, one that I mentioned before, which is called the fibroblast growth factor signaling pathway, and another one which is called the hedgehog signaling pathway. And again, these are two of the major families that are important for development, for stem cells, for cancer, for a lot of different biological processes. What we're trying to do is to understand how the stem cells respond to cues from these various signaling pathways with the hope that once we understand how this process occurs in the animal, that we can then use that to make new organs in vitro. And this is known as sort of a biomimetic approach. There are different approaches to making new organs. One of them is to essentially try to make it from scratch based on artificial materials and sort of a, an engineering approach. And another approach is one where you think that evolution and biology have figured this out much better than we ever could. So what we'll try to do is learn as much as we can about the way that these organs normally develop and then function and then try to mimic that as much as we can. Or induce. another way to say it is to induce Stem cells to do something that they know how to do, and they just need the correct instructions,
0: so you think we're learning how to do this in vitro, so in other words, we might be able to grow an organ or a piece of an organ in a petri dish or something else and then transplant it into a patient
1: right that so that would be the long term goal and I think obviously we have a long way to go in terms of figuring out all of the all of the different steps that are involved in that, you know in particular. <laughs> One of the things that we're very interested right now in understanding is not only how you can get stem cells to do things, but also how you can get them to not do things. Because, of course, what you don't want is to have cells that run amok and do bad things like like give you cancer. And so understanding the various layers of control, both those layers of control that are important for, for the cells to do what you would like them to do, but also those layers that are important to get the cells to not do what you don't want them to do.
0: And do you think that your research will ever, or other research that's being done like yours, will ever allow us to do the in vivo regrowth and regeneration of organs?
1: I think so. My, you know, This is a little bit in the future, but my gut feeling would be that first people will develop techniques to do this in vitro. And in fact, in our field in particular, work not from, from our group, but from a lot of other groups, both in the United States and in the UK and in Asia, have shown that it is actually possible to grow teeth in vitro. So I think that's quite far along it's a different kind of approach than what we plan to do, and it's it's quite preliminary, but I think compared to a lot of other organs there is there is good evidence that this will be possible to do and so I think that in the very long term people will be interested in applying you know some topical substance to for example, a jaw or some other part of the body and getting the appropriate organ to grow there. I don't think that that's impossible, but it seems like that would be a lot longer of a process than the in vitro differentiation and then implantation.
0: Well, we all hope that stem cells will create future medical miracles. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Ophir Klein, a craniofacial development expert from the University of California, San Francisco, for giving us some incisive insights into stem cell research to regenerate organs. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President, Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatments for new uses. You've been listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. This has been the Clinician's Roundtable. Stay on top of the latest medical topics by visiting our new website at reachmd.com, where we welcome your questions and comments. Use the promotion code RADIO when registering online and receive six months of complete access to our on-demand library of podcasts. Thank you for listening.